Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. We're talking about the God of all comfort, and today is part three. The God of all comfort, and this is part three of what Paul began way back in verse one. <clears throat> Let me introduce it this way. When a person has the truth of God's word revealed to him that he is born into this world a sinner, separated from God, you know, you can't really convince anybody of this. This has to be conviction. God has to show them in his word. When that person realizes that he has no hope of ever being good enough to be saved from the penalty of eternal death, and when then he realizes why Christ came, he understands that the cure for what's wrong with him is in Jesus Christ, that Jesus came into this world to be born of a virgin, to die on a cross, and he, uh, to resurrect from that cross, from that grave for the third day, and then to ascend and go back into heaven. And in that moment when he realizes that if he bows before him, confessing himself to be a sinner and confessing Christ to be Lord, giving all that he understands of himself to all that he understands of Christ, then in that moment Christ delivers him from eternal death and gives him eternal life. That's an incredible moment. That's an event. That's a, that's a time in, in, in the history of a person's life. When he comes to that place, he now becomes a brand new creature. Christ is eternal life. And he comes to live in, in the person of his Holy Spirit in the lives of believers that have bowed before him. You see, immediately in that moment, that person is indwelt by God himself. He is now a vessel through whom God can do his work. This is something that people don't seem to understand, that when they become a believer, they've been purchased with a, with a price. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. What? Do you not know? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God has purchased you for his own use. The word saint means to be set apart unto God for his use. God wants to do his work, to continue his work through us while we're here on this earth. Christianity is not a religion that mandates you and I being good so that we can measure up. That's not religion. Christianity is not that at all. It's a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's the most beautiful thing when, when it finally soaks in as to what this is all about. I've told this before, so kind of act like you hadn't heard it. Somebody told me if you have a, a hammer, it nails the nail use it. Don't throw the hammer away. 
But when I was in Reno, and Diane and I lived in Reno, and I was doing conference work worldwide, I basically never really lived in Reno. I just sort of touched base and flew out. But I had to get a haircut. You've heard me tell this story, many of you. And a friend of mine recommended a place for me to go, and so I said, well, okay. And it was one of those beauty saloons. I know, a salon. <laughs> Most of the ladies I see coming out of them look like they've been in a saloon anyway. When I got there, <laughs> hey, I know when Dinah goes, she goes home and she, she hides and she runs to the back of the house and fixes her hair like she really wants it to be. But anyway, the lady that came up to me had a spiked haircut. It was one of these crazy places and the music was boom de boom de boom de And I just never had quite been in a place like that. And she looked at me and she said, you must be Wayne. <laughs> And the first thought I had was, no, I am Ralph, and I'm out of here. Bad as your hair looks, I don't want you cutting mine. But I had to get a haircut. I was leaving the next day, and I'd been several weeks. And so we go over and sit down, and she starts telling me about this real wild weekend she had had. And she gets very detailed. And, and I said, that's good, that's good, I got the point. And then she asked the question. I love this question. CEOs, presidents of companies engineers. <laughs> I wanted to pick on somebody. When I fly first, we used to fly first class with Delta all the time. I was platinum for four years when I traveled a lot. And I got to sit up front, boy, with the big boy, the big dogs. And they'd say, what do you do? And I'd say, same question. And I gave the same answer. I'm a preacher. And they'd break into hives. They couldn't even talk to me. They didn't have enough sense to get in out of the rain. But boy, they could figure out a computer in a minute. Well, this girl, she said, what do you do? She just told me about this wild weekend, and I, I just looked right straight at her, and I said, I'm a preacher. And most of the time, they'll back up, and they'll start, you know, if she didn't, buddy, she didn't miss, a, miss a, a beat. She said, I'll tell you one thing, religion never worked for me. And I said, praise God, never worked for me either. <laughs> and she had the funniest look on her face. She said, I thought you was a preacher. And I said, I am, but I don't preach religion. I will, hopefully, I will never preach religion. That is something external. That is something about what a man can do for God. I preach a relationship of what God can do in and through a man. That's what it's all about. If we're not allowing him to use us, then we have missed the whole point of what Christianity is all about. And we'll stand before him one day. Remember that. We'll not be judged, but our works will. And it's such a sobering moment when somebody comes to realize, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm saved. This is why God didn't just pick the fruit and take me into heaven. This is why I'm on this earth, to be a vessel through which he could do his work. Well, I know you're going to ask me whatever happened to her. She took me back and washed my hair. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. My mama, when I was growing up, would rub my back and... She'd scratch my head, and she just loved on me. My wife, I said, Dinah, rub my shoulder. She'd go, do, do, your turn. That's not right. That's not right. <laughs> That's why a lot of ladies are going to have to go through the tribulation. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, <laughs> she was washing my hair. And while she was washing my hair, she said, how do you teach people this relationship? And I said, oh, thank you for asking. And I went to Romans 6. If you've ever studied Romans 6, one of the most powerful chapters of any epistle in the New Testament. When I finished, we, we walked out, tears streaming down her face. She said, nobody's ever told me that before. 
I grew up in church trying to be good, and I found out I couldn't do it, and I bailed out on God a long time ago. But she said, let me, let me ask you something. She said, let's see if I've got it right. I can never be good in myself. Is that what you're saying? And God who is good has saved me from that dilemma, and he wants to come and live in me and be the goodness through me. And I thought to myself, praise God, I've spoken to Christians all over this country, and here's a little gal that didn't know Christ from a hole in the ground, and she got it in that moment. That's what Christianity is. That's what it is. When a person begins to realize that God wants to use him, or her to influence the world around them by living his life through them, then he begins to realize God takes great pleasure in using his people. We saw this in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And that word will doesn't just mean what he intends to do, but it means that which he takes great pleasure in doing. It's a beautiful word. God took pleasure in using Paul. He took pleasure in using Timothy. But you see, to use us, he, has, he purposely locates us exactly where he wants us because he understands how best we can be used to influence the world around us. Paul said, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. But the church of God wasn't just at Corinth. He goes on and says, with all of the saints throughout Achaia, Achaia being the southern part of Greece and even moving into the central part of Greece, God had located his people, took great pleasure in using them all over Greece. I love that passage of Scripture where Paul says, or God says to Paul, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. God locates the people where he wants them to be. And for us to be used of God, for us to find out that God can use me, I didn't even have to have seminary. I don't have to memorize the New Testament. God wants to use me. And for us to realize that, and to realize he takes great pleasure, and to realize I'm to bloom wherever I'm planted, it requires the living grace of God. We've been talking about that now for three years. Saving grace, faith alone in Christ alone. Everybody seems to understand that. Dying grace, we don't understand it because we hadn't been there yet, but we've seen people walk through it. But living grace is between A and B. It's Jesus being Jesus in and through us. And Paul says to them, grace to you that already received saving grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 tells us that. But that this is the living grace, that enabling power of God to be what God wants them to be. And I'll tell you what, when that takes place, there's a peace in your life, no matter what your circumstances are, that you can't explain to anybody because you begin to realize God so loves me, he's using me, and God took the pains to uproot me and put me where he wants me to be so that I can be a vessel. And he even gives me his, his, his spirit so that he, I might ha have the power to be everything he wants me to be. There's a peace that comes with that that passes all understanding. Not the peace with God, you got that at salvation, but the peace of God. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father of the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing, but let me tell you this to you. It's a painful thing. There's a painful side to it. This is the part that for whatever reason, some people forget to read the fine print. There will be those 
both believers and non-believers who do not like the fact that we are allowing Jesus to be Jesus in us. They don't like it. If Christ in us will offend the one, now listen carefully, who chooses to live life his own way. Christ in us will be an offense to that individual, whether he's a believer or an unbeliever. You can expect a lot of pain. You can expect it. Physical pain by the way people will, will, will hurt you. Emotional pain because of what people will say about you. The flesh hates God and anyone associated with him. You say, wait, I don't believe that. It's the sweetest thing in the world to know Jesus. Listen, it is. Oh, sweeter as a day goes by. But don't you ever forget this side of the equation. The word persecute is found 41 times in one form or another in Scripture. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 12, indeed, he says, all, all, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be, what's the last word? Persecuted. He didn't say might be. He said will be. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It's coming in our life. You say, Wayne, why in the world do you even bring that up this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? Because the last time we were together in verse 3, that's exactly what Paul brings it up. I'm not bringing it up. I'm just introducing it. Paul began praising the God of all comfort. Now listen, he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. These were words flowing out of the heart of a man who's been deeply wounded. Paul allowing Christ to be who he was in him. You remember his conversion? He didn't have, he was a man without a country. The Jews didn't, didn't, didn't understand him, and the Christians didn't trust him. He was the greatest persecutor of the church of that day. And the word comfort itself automatically implies that one is going to go through very hard times. You don't need a comfort if there's not going to be discomfort in your life. That he'll have to endure unlovable people. That he'll have to learn to endure hateful words by letting Jesus be Jesus in him. You see, the believer in the early years, of the early years of the church, especially the first eight years, those Jewish believers, it, it finally turned and went to the Gentile world. But when they became a believer and were immediately baptized for, that, for the reason that it showed a separation from what they used to be. They were, they were automatically disowned by their families. They, they, were, they were choosing trouble in a, in a strange sense of the word when they chose to serve and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of them paid the ultimate price of, of dying as a martyr for the faith simply because they chose to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Take the Apostle Paul, for instance. Let me just preempt a little bit of what we'll study in chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me just begin in verse 23 and show you what he went through because he didn't, he didn't commit a crime. All he did was say, I love Jesus. And as a result of that, this is what happened. And he's, he's refuting those who say he's not an apostle. He's coming against the false apostles. And he, he compares himself with them. And he says, are they servants of Christ? Speaking of these false apostles. He says, I speak as if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors, 
in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 30, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You know what stoning was in their day. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentile, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And this is just a broad brush of what had happened in Paul's life as a result of his saying, God, I want you to use me wherever you locate me. And God would then relocate and then relocate because he was an evangelist of that day. We know from 2 Timothy that he paid the ultimate price. He tells my time of my departure is near. He was in prison when he wrote that. He told Timothy, Timothy, I'm, I'm bored, I'm cold, I'm lonely. Bring my coat. He said, bring me something to read. Bring my parchments. And Oh, Timothy, come see me. Come see me before winter because I'm, I just want to be with you. That's the way he ended his life. Didn't have a penny in his pocket. These people talk about health, wealth. They don't have a clue what the New Testament talks about. Here's a man, the greatest missionary in the New Testament, the apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. And look, here he is. Here he is. And he dies as a martyr for the faith. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, he told the Galatians to get off his back. He said, from now on, he said, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Does it cost? Does it cost? I'll let the Scripture speak for itself. You know what we need to understand today in the 21st century is you say to yourself, I sure am glad I didn't become a believer back in those days. My friend, wake up and understand that in the last 25 years there's been more people martyred for the faith than in the history of Christianity. And it's going on right as I speak. We're in a free country. We don't seem to understand what it cost people in these strong Muslim countries and what they're going through in Asia and other places. Well, the point is, though, there is a painful side to letting Jesus be Jesus. There's a painful side, but that's not the point. In fact, Paul doesn't even labor there. What he wants to, us to see is there's comfort in the midst of the pain. And that's what he wants to see. See, when he starts off praising God in verse 3, he, he's praising God for who he is. He hadn't even touched what God has done in his life. That's the beautiful thing for a believer to understand. In the midst of the pain, there is one who brings comfort. And that's the beauty of the message he begins to bring to the Corinthian church. You see, those who want a more flesh-friendly Christianity don't understand this. But those who have suffered the pain that came from those kinds of people, they understand it because when they run to Jesus, Instead of running from him, they find the comfort that they need in times of pain. Well, this is where we pick up today. We, Paul now moves from praising God for who he is and begins to start talking about what he does and what this comfort is all about to believers. And he's giving a personal testimony. We'll mention it over and over again, but the third-person pronouns he uses are referring to himself and to Timothy and to others in his group. So first of all, the meaningfulness 
of our comfort, the meaningfulness of our comfort. What makes this fact that God is my comfort so meaningful? The meaningful thing of it is that it's all the time true. It's not in just in certain instances. It's the fact that he's always there for us to comfort us. Just like in the phrase, God is good <laughs> all the time. Ah, you got it. And God's always there to comfort us. He's always ever-present in our life. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, as he's talking about God now, he's continuing a sentence from verse 3. He says, who comforts us in all our affliction. And again, I want to reemphasize, Paul is speaking from his own personal experience. And it's a beautiful thing he's doing for the church there in Corinth. The word for comfort is our word, parakaleo. Paraklesis is the word we started with. But you see, parakaleo is the root word. Para means alongside or near. And then kaleo means to call, to be called alongside. It has the idea, the etymology of a word cannot be sometimes forced, but it has the idea in most contexts of his coming alongside us in time of need to help us get through difficult times. It implies both sides of the equation, me turning to him, but also him coming to me. The beautiful thing is that it's in the present tense, active voice. <laughs> present tense means he's always doing this. I don't know if y'all get excited about tenses, but I do. Present tense means he's always doing this. This is who he is. All you have to do is turn to him. He's already doing that. He's always near. Active voice, he takes it even further. Active voice means this is his heart. This is his choice. He chooses to always be there in the times of pain that we go through in our life. What a glorious truth. Again, the us that Paul talks about there, as he gives his own testimony, or the people that are with him. He's experienced this. Isn't it awesome to listen to somebody who's been through it? And when they share, you listen, kind of like E.F. Hutton. When they speak, we listen. And when Paul speaks, we ought to listen. He's been there, and he's reaffirming a truth to their heart who comforts us all in, in, in all of our affliction. Now, the word affliction there is used 34 times in the New Testament. It speaks of a very difficult physical or and or and or emotional time that a person had to do to go through that Paul had to endure. He suffered only because he loved Christ, but, but because he loved Christ, the people who didn't in the dark world he lived in, the, the hostile world that he lived in, caused a lot of affliction to come his way. The word is philipsis, and philipsis is the word that means to press in on from every direction. You ever felt that? Let me ask you this. Since you've become a believer, have, has it been times when you just seeking to love Jesus and just seeking to be in his word, you've had to take pressure that you felt like you were pressed in from all sides? Anybody in here besides me felt that? I mean, from all sides. I'm talking about at home. Perhaps it's a wife, it's a believer, and the, the husband could care less, or maybe vice versa, or our children in a family that are believers and the parents aren't, or vice versa, or it could be at work. And all of a sudden, it just seemed like you're doing something wrong. You're made to feel guilty for holding up Jesus Christ. You're made to feel guilty because you just love his word, and it's coming in on you, and it's coming in on you, and it's pressing you, and it's pressing you. That submarine that, that went down, that nuclear sub years ago, I remember them talking about it on television. Whether they were right or wrong, what they said was that it got down to a certain depth, 
and the pressure on the outside was greater than the pressure on the inside. It was not equalized. Somebody had done something wrong with the pressure plates on it or something, and it imploded. I learned a new word last night. Jim taught me a new word. Instead of exploded, it imploded. It blew within because it was just simply crushed. That's the word thalipsis. And every time you see affliction in Scripture, nine out of ten times it's the word thalipsis. Understand, it's severe pain, severe pressure. It's coming from all sides, and it feels like it's squeezing you right down to where you're going to implode from within. Paul went from one stressful trial to another, as we saw in 1 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But he wanted the Corinthians to know something. He's not so much emphasizing that. He's emphasizing the fact that God was his comfort. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his journey, God was his comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. How many times when you read in Scripture, you read the word all, and it's just all, well, go on to the next word. No. All in the Greek language is a beautiful thing, and it should be in our language. It means each, it's almost as if God gives him a divine recall at that moment. And he starts remembering each time. And matter of fact, he, he picks up in verse 8 some of those times that he went through. And, he, and it's like he's remembering each and every one of them. And then when you look back, it's all of them put together. And here's a man that's been there. He's been there and done it. He's been there through the pain and the pressure, and yet he's experienced the comfort of God. We've got to get used to the fact that it's not going to be popular to the world that we let Jesus be Jesus in our life. Hard, stressful, difficult times will come on people caused by people who want only to please their flesh. Whether they be believers or non-believers, that's where it's going to come from. People that love themselves, that have never abandoned themselves to Jesus Christ. But God, just as he was with Paul, will be with us. I love that verse in Hebrews 13, 5. It says, I will never forsake you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's always there. The ever-present God of all comfort. The meaningfulness of our comfort is it's always accessible. It's always there. And whether we call him to us, which the word means to call alongside, or whether he feels called to come alongside us, whatever it is, it's always there in the believer's life. You know, let me ask you a question. If, if you feel like you understand this and that God is true, but you feel like God's left you, God's just nowhere around, I don't know how to answer that except to ask you a question. If you feel like God's not there, then who moved? <laughs> he hadn't gone anywhere. He's always faithful to what he says. If we're not walking in his comfort, that's not his problem. That's our problem. We haven't turned to him in the midst of the pain and the problem. But the second thing about this is the ministry of our comfort. I love this. This is so precious. It's amazing how going through difficult times, and remember the, the, the straight context here, the narrow context, is persecution. He's going to open it up to other kinds of hurt later on. But right now he's talking about what happens to you when Jesus is Jesus in you. But it's amazing when you go through it. And you feel the pain. You feel the pressure. And it's crushing in on you. And you run to God, and he's exactly what he says he is because he's good all the time. It's amazing how once you've experienced both of those two things working together, the pain and then the, the presence of God in your life and the comfort, 
When those two things come together, it's amazing how God makes you sensitive to other people around you that are going through the same thing. He says, who comforts us in all of our affliction in verse 4. Then he says, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Now, I love that first part of that, so that we will be able. I'm so grateful, and I hope you are this morning, that God doesn't waste our experiences. <laughs> we don't just go through them for nothing. But God is using them to give us a ministry to other people, to make us sensitive to other people. And when you take it out of the persecution realm and put it in other realms, we can find illustrations abounding everywhere. All of us have experienced. Diana, years ago, when she was 35, went through pretty tough surgery. And as a result of that, has never been physically whole in that sense of the word and of, of how she, she's gone through incredible situations because of that, that surgery. She went through a whole year of depression. I used to think that the, every, I didn't understand depression at all until I had to deal with it. And then she told me one day, she said, Wayne, if emotionally I had to tell you that God is alive, if I had to feel something to prove it, I couldn't. But she said, I just believe because I believe because I believe. Manly Beasley at that time had gone through 14 different terminal diseases. I don't know if you ever heard Manly. Don't know who I'm talking about when I say Manly. Raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about. Some of you do. It's quite a loss for those of you that don't because he's in heaven now. But Brother Manley, would, they'd roll him up in a wheelchair and help him to the pulpit, and he would stand there and grab the pulpit, emaciated. He was such a strong, good-looking rascal before these things struck his body. And he would stand there and hold on to the pulpit, and you would think he had never had a sick day in all his life. Good night, old living. The power of God would come on that man. He was dyslexic. People said, oh, he doesn't ever read from the Word. Well, he saw the Word backwards. He had to memorize the Word to do it. And he would preach on faith. But he would call Diana, and he'd say, Diana, I know exactly where you are. See, going through that made him sensitive to somebody else who was going through it. And he would call her and encourage her and help her get through that very difficult year that she went through so that we might be able. The word able is duname. It means to have the ability to do something. God says, I want to prepare you. I want to use you. You see, we want, the, we, we want the faith. We want to be used, but most of us don't want to go through the school we have to go through in order to have it. You mean, Wayne, that my trials are not just for me to hang in there and get through? You mean that God, when he comforts me, doesn't leave me alone? That God might want to use me to help somebody else? And all I can say is a resounding yes, yes, yes. Not the preacher at the church. Maybe he hasn't been through it, but you have. Not the person on staff. We always think we pay these guys. That's what they're supposed to do. Ephesians says they're here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The ministry takes place in the body, and it's through people who have been in the valley, have been through the pain, experienced the comfort, and God opens their eyes to the people that are around them so that we will be able to comfort those who are in, now watch, any affliction. Now what he does by using that little word there, he lifts the lid off of just persecution and begins to broaden this principle at that point. 
It doesn't matter really now what affliction you're talking about. It could be pain or disease. It could be whatever, the trauma of going through something that you've been through yourself. He covers all manner of stressful, hurtful situations one might be going through. Paul shows us that unless there, we have been there, unless we've been there, unless we've received the comfort that we're asking somebody else to receive, we can't really have that, that divine sensitivity to people that we need. The key is not just in the fact that we all suffer. No, that's not it. It's that we suffer and have come to Christ and he's beckoning us to himself. And as we come to him and then we receive that comfort, that's what he's taught. The two have to go together. This makes us a candidate to minister to others who are hurting in any way, whether it be persecution or whatever it be. I don't know if you, you want, I don't know how many of you know this, and probably you don't, unless you just talked to a staff member, but you've been prayed for today. I, that, was a, that was the greatest feeling. I pray for you all the time. But as a group, we covered you for today. And it was so neat. We did a prayer walk. You're going to hear a lot about prayer walking in the future. Somebody has termed that term with prayer walk. I, I've been doing it for years, so have you, but I never have heard it called prayer walk. What we did in our huddle time last Thursday, we divided up the men and the ladies, and the ladies went one way and the men went another way, and we divided into small groups, and we walked the halls of this building. And we began to say, oh, God, we don't know how to pray. Open our hearts, God, to the people that we work with. We walk down the hall half of the time and never even see the person that's over in this office or the secretary who's sitting over here. Never even think about the fact that they're hurting because we're on an agenda and we're focused and God trying to open our eyes. How can we tell you to do it if we're not going to do it as a staff? But I, my prayer is this will become a part of our whole life. We'll open our eyes and look who's sitting next to us and look to the relationships around us and realize if they're hurting and we have been there, that's the ministry God wants for us with that person. Do you realize we talk about spiritual gifts? They're wonderful. And I, I'll teach them and I'll continue to teach them. It's God's word. It's his body. But so many people are looking for a ministry when they have it right in the palm of their hand. They've been through the valley and God is trying to make them sensitive to somebody else that's going through that same valley. No man's an island. Nothing happens to us at random. It's not just for us to plug in there and hang in there. No. As we are comforted, now we become a candidate to extend comfort to our brother who's around us. It's incredible years ago, we went to the elder system at Woodland Park like we have done here at Hoffmantown. And suddenly people thought the elders <laughs> were the Gestapo of the church. Got a problem? Oh, run, tell the elders. You know what we had to tell them when they came to us? You have just sinned because love builds a covering over that area. And the one another commands, which number over 100 in Scripture, have to be fulfilled before the elders can even get to the place that God says they're to fulfill. It's the people that are sitting around you. God has a ministry. We have a responsibility to each other. The meaningfulness of our comfort is he's always there. But the ministry of our comfort is that we begin to be the vessel to reach out and touch somebody else because they're going through what we have been through. And then the third thing I want to share with you and the last thing is the measure of our comfort. I want you to see the dimensions of this. We need to make sure that we understand, again, that Paul is giving a personal testimony here 
And every time he uses that third person pronoun in verses 3 down to 11, he's not talking about the whole church. He's, he's speaking for himself and his group. In verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction, he knows this. He's, he, he, he's experienced it. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And then he says, with the comfort, now watch carefully, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You wonder why we sing the song from time to time, Jesus be Jesus in me. No longer me, but the resurrection power. Fill me this hour, Jesus be what? Jesus where? In me. Why do we sing that? You see, that's to remind us over and over and over again, it's not us that comforts anybody. It's the same Christ that comforts us, reaching through us, living through us, comforting people around us. It's him making us sensitive. We don't wake up and become sensitive. It's the sensitivity of the Savior that lives within us. But Paul continues to show this measure of comfort in verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, and he really meant that. I mean, he had had it beyond what most people will go through. So also our comfort, I love this, is abundant through Christ, by the means of Christ. To the degree that one suffers and receives the comfort of God is to the degree that he's now able to comfort others. You see, Paul said, I've been taken to the depths of despair. But the comfort has equalized right there. Up there. And now I can, I can take people, other people that are going through what I go through. Paul shows a specific suffering that he's talking about. And he says, the sufferings of Christ. And this is such an interesting phrase. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Now, we have to understand that word. Turn with me, if you will, to, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 11. This is, this is the desire that Paul has had from, from get-go once God turned him around. Philippians 3, 10 through 11. Paul's great desire was to know Christ. I, I, I guarantee you that everybody in here that's a believer wants to know him in the way that Paul wanted to know him. The word know means to experience. And in verse 10 of Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted to understand and to experience the fellowship of his suffering. Now let me put that together for you. It, it, it's, a, it's almost like a, a process here. Paul wanted to know him. He wanted to experience him. There were a lot of people that were unlovable that were around Paul, and Paul wanted to experience Christ loving through him. You see, he wanted to, to understand and to experience the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus. What am I talking about? I'm talking about, about he knew the deadness of his flesh to love unlovable people. He knew the incapacity of it. He knew that he couldn't. It was dead. It was no life in it. He wanted to see the resurrection power of God manifest in his mortal flesh. He wanted to see him love people through him. He wanted to experience what only God could produce in his heart. And the immediate result of living that way would be to experience the sufferings of Christ. What I'm trying to tell you folks, and I hope you're already seeing it, is that when you allow Christ to live in and through you, many respond in a wonderful way, but get used to it. Many will not. 
And it won't be you that they're after. So if you're a wife and you don't have a husband that loves Jesus and you're, you're struggling today, or if you're at work and people don't like you because of your stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not you that they don't like. It's Christ that they're coming against. You are literally participating in the sufferings of Christ. This is the suffering Paul's talking about. It's not something he initiated or something that he brought upon himself. The word abundance indicates the degree to which he's suffering, but also indicates the degree to which he's been comforted. Do you see it? To the degree that we suffer is to the degree that we are comforted, but much more than that is to the degree that we can comfort somebody else. Christ in us then can help us take that person and meet them in the depths that they're walking through. Paul brings it home, verse 6 and 7. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. What does he mean by that? Well, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you, as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Now, it's not as difficult as it sounds. Paul and his crew learned to go through affliction yielding to the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, but they understood it wasn't just for them to be comforted. It was so that it would be for the benefit of the Corinthian believers. Paul says that this comfort is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. I don't know if you can see it or not, but what Paul has been encouraged. This is actually his fourth letter he's written to the Corinthian church. The third letter was a scalding letter. And he told Titus, who probably took it, he said, man, I believe. I, I believe in the Christ in them. I believe they're going to respond correctly. Now, if you respond correctly to God's, what God tells us to do, the suffering's going to come. And I think what Paul is saying is I'm so encouraged because his epistle to the Corinthians was a positive thing. And he's saying, listen, now the sufferings that you're going through is the right kind of suffering. They were suffering before, but because of sin. Now they're suffering for the right reason. You don't want anybody to suffer, but you want them to, if they do suffer, to suffer for the right reason. And so he says, this is something we can build on. He says in verse 7, and our hope for you is firmly grounded. I love that. Knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. When he says our hope for you is firmly grounded, the word hope means expectation, that which you expect to happen. And now he sees that that hope is firmly grounded. It means the foundation to which you build upon. Paul says, I can work with this. Back in 1 Corinthians, they didn't have a clue. And, and now he's writing and says, I can build upon this. I'm seeing that now you're doing it right and your sufferings will be for the right reason. Now you can pay attention to what I've been trying to tell you. Now I can comfort you. Paul's hopes for the Corinthian believers have been resurrected in the fact that Christ now is working through their life. Persecution is not fun. But folks, I want to tell you something. If persecution comes in your life, it, to qualify as being persecution, it has to qualify as being the right kind of suffering, which means it's because Jesus is being Jesus in our life. How many of you enjoyed Peter Dugulesco last week? Let me just tell you something, folks. What you heard in this message to follow, I didn't plan it. That's exactly what we're talking about today. You know, it's almost as if in today there's a yuppie Christianity that scares me to death. 
People got the big salaries, three cars in the garage, everything paid for, got their house, go to a Bible study one hour a week, and they think that is what Christianity is all about. Never suffered yet. But folks, when you start getting on the front line and letting Jesus be Jesus in your life, he is your life, immediately you can expect, yes, wonderful pe people that respond, but painful days ahead of you because we are strangers on this earth. We don't belong to it. We're going home. We're light in the midst of darkness. And I'll tell you what, when you're in the valley, you'll appreciate the fact, the meaningfulness of this covenant. He's always there. He's good all the time. You'll appreciate the ministry of, your, of this comfort when you see your brother going through a similar thing and you can come alongside him, Pericleo, and you can just put your arms around him or, or whatever and encourage him because you've been there and you'll appreciate the measure of this comfort that it, it actually extends even beyond just persecution. But the measure of it is that it's Christ in and through you, ministering to you first, now using you as a vessel to minister to somebody else. What have you been through? What have you been through? One of the first things we try to do when people call us and they have a particular problem is to ask the Lord to put, put, put people on our hearts that have been through the very same thing. It's incredible where they are, folks. They're everywhere. They're sitting all around you this morning. You've been there. God wants to open your eyes to the people that are around you. He wants to open our church's eyes to the people that are around us. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.